Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. Guess what? You are not alone. Support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help you find a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. Churchescare.com The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Exxon TV. If you'd like to give us a call toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Exxon Nation, we're going to be talking uh, to Lee Boyland. Uh, Lee published an article the other day that that grabbed my attention, and, and I thought it was so important in these days of controversy to bring Lee on. The name of his, his um, article is, It's Time to Wake Up and Smell the Smoke of 9-11, The World's Churchyard Bully. And just to give you a bit of information about Lee, um, let me see. Lee has a degree in nuclear engineering, uh, then entered active duty as an officer in the U.S. Army Ordnance Corps, a graduate of the U.S. Navy's Explosive and Nuclear Ordnance Disposal Schools. Lee was assigned to the Defense Atomic Support Agency in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
a member of DASA's nuclear emergency team responsible for nuclear weapons accidents, including the rendering safe of armed nuclear warheads. He had access to the design details of every nuclear and thermonuclear warhead developed by the United States through the Mark 63 warhead. Now, his duties took him to the Nevada test site on many occasions, and after leaving the Army, he designed conventional and special ordnance and dematerialized, uh, dematerialized chemical weapons at Rocky Mountain Arsenal. Uh, let me see. He made the transition to hazardous waste management by applying aerospace combustion technology to incineration of Agent Orange. Now, he's the author of The Rings of Allah and Behold and Ashen Horse, which received critical acclaim by the Military Writers Society of America. His website, www.leeboylandbooks.com. And Lee Boyland, welcome back to the Exxon. How are you, Lee? Rob, thank you very much for inviting me back. I always enjoy being on your fine program. Well, thanks very much, Lee. It's great talking to you. Um, here we are once again. The anniversary of 9-11 has passed and all the memories and all the wounds, you know, they, they usually subside to a certain degree by now. But, you know, we've got we've got Reverend Jones in Florida talking again about burning the Koran. We've got the great controversy going on with the proposed building of a mosque just two blocks away, Lee, uh, of, nine, of the site of 9-11. And, and your article, The World's Churchyard Bully, grabbed me, and, and I had to bring you on to get... Not only your sense uh, and your feelings, but the feelings of the military, because you've got their, your fingers on the pulse of the military. And what was your inspiration for writing this piece? Uh, I guess just listening to what was going on. Uh, I wrote my first book mm-hmm. two, in 2003, started it, finished in 2004, because it looked to me like people had forgotten the lesson of 9-11. Yeah. And here we are on the ninth anniversary, and it's worse still. We have a... All we hear about is Islamic sensitivities. We Mm -hmm. have to be uh, cautious, be careful of them. Politically correct. When are they going to start being careful of our sensitivities? Yeah, good question, Uh, Lee. You and I have to take a commercial break, Lee. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation to come on the show today. Always look forward to talking to you. ExoNation, Lee Boyland is our special guest at this hour. www.leeboylandbooks.com That's L-E-E-B-O-Y-L-A-N-D-B-O-O-K-S Com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break talking about wake up America and smell the smoke. We'll be back. Don't go away. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? 
Find out more, Exxon Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Special guest, we're talking about Lee's article uh, that came out uh, yesterday. It's entitled The World's Churchyard Bully. And Lee, um, why do you think that we still haven't, the light has not gone on about what really happened on 9 11? How can we just forget it so easily? I don't know. It's frightening. And, uh, you know, I've written several articles Mm -hmm. on this, and I wrote a series of books based upon it. what would happen? Could they attack us with nuclear devices? And the answer is yes. And I proved that in the first book. I wrote it. It's, it's a fictional book because it hasn't happened. Yeah. But it lays down a foundation that you can't get around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second book was what happened afterward. And then the third book is Rebuilding America. That's America Reborn. But to get back to the subject, the I, I can't understand this. I think more and more people are beginning to wake up. And I think the mosque issue this, this this determination of ramming it down our throats, you will have a mosque two blocks from ground zero, whether you like it or not, because it's our right to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, all we hear about is not upsetting the Muslim sensitivities. Well, they upset our sensitivities all the time, and nobody seems to object to it. And I think Americans are not people that get pushed around very easily. Uh, we... We, it takes us a while to realize somebody's actually trying to push us around, but once the message sinks in, we start to get angry. And I think that's where we are right now. We're starting to see the the regular folks, the people that, that with common sense, uh, are starting to realize that, hey, you know, this has gone too far. This is ridiculous. This imam is in our face, and and it's in our face for several reasons. He one of the principles in Islam is taqiyah, which means deception. Well, deception's been around since the born of humanity. Uh, Tucson, in his books, uh, The Art of War, mm-hmm. says deception is one of the key elements in winning a battle. And he's absolutely right. It's always been there. Well, we're being deceived. We're being told one thing by the imam, and he means something else. The name of the mosque, the, the what was it, the Cordova And when Islam conquers a nation, and it started expanding from the day Muhammad, uh, actually from the year 620 Mm -hmm. on, it began to have a major expansion. When they conquered Spain 
the Islamic armies conquered Spain and subdued it and turned it into a Muslim nation, they took the large Christian church and converted it into the Cordova Mosque. They did the same thing in Turkey. They've done the same thing all through India when they conquered India. Uh, they tore down the Hindu temples, uh, took all the gold and precious jewels, and built mosques on top of them. It is their symbol of dominance. And something in the uh, Islamic creed that people don't realize is that once a land belongs to Islam, it can never, never be given back. So as far as uh, the fundamental Muslims, the people that believe in the Quran and Muhammad, especially his last words, the last 10 years of his life, believe that the caliphate, when it's reestablished, and that's what you hear about, you hear the terrorists talking about reestablishing the caliphate, which is the Islamic empire. Spain belongs to the Islamic empire. It's theirs by right because they had it once. Well, the mosque is, uh, they have a building, they've used it as a mosque, they've prayed in it. This is the, the Park 51 of the Cordova Mosque in Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. So from their point of view, this is their mosque. They cannot give it up. And the imam basically on, I think it was NBC or ABC television, issued a veiled threat that if they don't get the mosque built, there will be jihad. He basically, I'm paraphrasing what he said. Yes, and that was, uh, that, was on Larry it, King, that was on Larry King Live. Uh, when uh, Larry the, King Live, and it was very yeah. well, he, he, he walked around the issue just far enough away from the edge mm-hmm. of the cliff so he couldn't get pushed over. But he threatened us. He said, yes. if, we don't, if we don't help him build a mosque, there's going to be, uh, I, I guess it's okay to say hell to pay. Sure. Uh, in our old biblical term. Mm-hmm. Well, we're being threatened. We're being browbeat. This is the intimidation phase of Islam. And... I don't care if they have a mosque somewhere else. Uh, I think the Catholics were going to build a Catholic facility near Auschwitz, and the people objected, and the Pope said, hey, that's a bad idea. We're, that's not being sensitive to the peoples, to the German people, and moved the, I think it was a convent of some type. Mm-hmm. This is the thing you should do. He should move the mosque somewhere else. Donald Trump offered to buy the property and give the owners a 25% profit. Right. They refused. Uh, we're seeing the same thing with the mosques that Israel puts up with when they try to negotiate with the Palestinians. Every time you get to the table, they lay down some demand that is, they know Israel can't meet, and then they get all huffy and walk away, and it's Israel's fault for not agreeing to, to give up something they can't give up. Well, Lee, I thought, uh, it was, I thought it was very interesting how the tables were turned when Donald Trump made what I consider to be a very generous offer on how he was using this as a way to get publicity. And when you're as powerful as Donald Trump is, believe me, you don't have to buy a useless piece of property and pay 25% above the ask above the price that the person purchased it for for in order to get publicity. No you don't. And that's a very that's a very good way to put it. It was just a way to deflect the argument. Mm-hmm. It's, they always have a way of deflecting. I've heard uh Sean Hannity get get uh, his wife on the t- on his program on several occasions and ask her a very simple question. Will you condemn Hamas? They won't answer the question. And if you won't condemn Hamas, which is a terrorist organization Mm -hmm. and listed as such, then this man, you can't believe anything he says. And that's the key. It's deception. I would like to point out at this time uh, that uh, that we're not talking about all members of, of the Islam or Muslim community. We're just talking about the specific uh, the specifics behind the burning of the of the well the 
the planned burning of the Quran that was uh, that was off, and now apparently Reverend Jones is thinking about it again, as well as the the events in New York City concerning a mosque just two blocks away from um, from Ground Zero. Now, the imam also said on Larry King with uh, Soledad O'Brien, who I think did a fantastic job, that if he would have known that this controversy would have taken off, that he would have put Cordoba House or the Cordoba Project somewhere else. I don't understand why he just cannot at this point say, all right, hey, you know what? In good faith, we'll move it. But But to continuously taunt and incite people I think that he is just, you know, he's just doing this in order to get to stir the pot. Of course he is, and there's another important fact that we don't see. One of the one of the things I try to point out when we're talking about the mm-hmm. subject is we view everything in the Middle East, not just Islam, but everything in the Middle East as we, through our eyes as we see things as Americans in our country. You have to get out of the, your shell. You have to crawl into the shell of a person that lives in Afghanistan or or Iraq and look at the world as they see it, because they see things differently than we do. They have Mm -hmm. an entirely different culture. They have an entirely different history. Uh, Their value system is different than ours. So when we submit or advance arguments about why they should do something based upon our philosophy and our way of life, it doesn't resonate with them. and I tried to do that. I learned to do that when I started writing the first book, to study, to get the uh, the way they talk down properly so I could do the dialogue. I started reading their faquas, their their articles, and I began to realize that we don't understand them simply because we think about things in our terms and they think about things in their terms. So to, to make a very you know uh, uh, crude example, I, if I told you to go up, you would hear me say go down. If I told you to turn left, you would turn right. It's, it's that way. So we, we have to couch our arguments to reach these people. We have to talk to them in the language and the terminology they understand, and we don't do that. We're teaching them about democracy. We say, you want freedom and democracy. This is a concept that's not understood. They have lived as, as a Muslim people under Islam, all of their lives and for centuries in that area. And Islam means submission. You submit yourself to the will of Allah. What is the will of Allah? Well, to them, they're mostly uneducated. The will of Allah is whatever the local cleric tells them it is. And it's very convenient that the Quran is not in chronological order, so that none of the uh, recitations that Muhammad made follow his life pattern. So you can you can pull pieces out of the Quran or, or verses out of the Quran to support almost anything you want to do, and the people that we're we're dealing with, the ones we're trying to reach, don't understand what we're telling them. So we need to go back and rethink our position and understand the world as they see it. One of the things that they see is that if you build a mosque somewhere, it means you have dominated. So the, from the Muslim, from the Arab street, if you would, or the, uh, from the Arab world, will view building the Cordoba Mosque, this 13 to 15-story huge mosque inside of the uh, debris field of the 9-11, which makes it on what we call hallowed ground, this will be seen as a victory mosque. This will be the victory mosque that marks the beginning of the subjugation of the United States, the great Satan. But they already have 100 mosques in New York City. But it's not 
at the site, see, uh-huh. and it's and and this huge mosque. If it was just a little simple mosque mm-hmm. like that, like it is now, they have a little community center they've been using for about two years. If they left it alone and just refurbished the building, it wouldn't mean anything. But when you build this huge structure that's going to be grandiose, that's going to be, you know, a typical really big mosque, it's going to be a symbol to the Arabs across the world, or the Muslims across the world, that this is a victory mosque, that they have. this was declaring victory that 9-11 was the right thing to do. Lee, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break with the news. Lee Boyland is our special guest of this hour, Exonation, www.leeboylandbooks.com. 1-800-610-7035 is worldwide toll-free. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon. We're coming to you from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Lee Boyland and I return after this break. Don't go away. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com Why do I feel like I'm losing control? The road is long With a man
Exo Nation, Lee Boyland is our special guest. His website is leeboylandbooks.com. That's www.leeboylandbooks.com. Lee, um, in your article, the, the final three paragraphs, you say, if this trend continues, our grandchildren will live in a poor third-world Muslim country. Barbaric Muslim methods of intimidation can no longer be tolerated. It's time to wake up and smell the smoke of 9-11. Islam must reform itself or forfeit its place at the 21st century table. I, for one, have had enough. I think your last sentence says it all. I, for one, have had enough. Well, that's the way I feel. I I, I look at the fact that Mm -hmm. we don't object to what we call the peaceful, the moderate Muslims. In fact, one of my doctors is a Muslim, and we don't talk about religion because it's a little sensitive to her, female. But uh, she's a good person. You know, my Lord, I think she's wonderful, and I I hope she enjoys her religion. She doesn't try to make me join her religion, Mm -hmm. and I certainly won't try to make her join mine. But the fundamental, the the people that practice what we call the terrorist, the Islamic... uh, fundamentalists are really the people that are following the edicts of their prophet. Muhammad is the sole author of the Quran. Actually, he says he recited what Gabriel told him that Allah sent the messages through Gabriel to him. Mm-hmm. But any way you cut it, he he is the only person that dictated the Quran. The one he created the religion in 22 years. Uh, he had two periods in his life. It's very interesting. He had the peaceful period when he first began his prophethood, mm-hmm. and I think he was about 40 at that time, uh, he got, a, he got a, a vision, and he was in a cave meditating, and he got a vision, and this bright spirit appeared to him, and it said, recite, and Muhammad said, recite what? And this is according to the Hadith, the story. And this went back and forth a number of times, and finally it came down, and he said, recite that there is only one God, and that, and that God is Allah. Well, Mecca at the time of this period when Muhammad lived in Mecca was the center of pagan worship on the Afri- on the uh, Arabian Peninsula, and the tribes all came to Mecca once a year to worship their god. There were 360 stone idols in the what is now called the Kabbal. Well, it was called a Kabbal for hundreds of years before Muhammad, and it housed these 360 stone idols. Well, Muhammad started preaching that there's only one god. Well, uh, Uh, This is a sort of a light way to put it, but it it gets to the point, and that is, if you have one god, then there's 359 unemployed gods. Well, since a large number of people came to Mecca every year to worship their gods, and they brought a lot of revenue to the city, or to the town at that point, uh, the tribe said, okay, once he started really getting some converts and getting people to pay attention to him, he started reducing the number of people coming to pray to the stone idols. And then after they prayed, they partied. It was sort of like a, a party town. Mm-hmm. So they said they ran him out of town. He, he was there 12, uh, he uh, preached for 12 years. And they at the end of 12 years, he, had, he was causing enough problems to their economy and, and irritating the, uh, the senior members of the tribe that they booted him out. And then the, the famous Hajj, where he went north to a city, a little town called Yatrab, which after two years was redesignated the city of the Prophet, which we know as Medina. Well, Muhammad got up there, and after two years he ran out of money, and he started looking for sources of income. And since his 
early days, he had been in the in the caravan trade. He had started out as a camel driver and worked his way up to uh, managing caravans, and then he married a rich widow, Kadia, uh, and then he, he formed a business. And he was a very good businessman. He doubled her, over doubled her wealth after he took over. So he, he was no slouch. Muhammad no. was a very brilliant man. There's no question about it. Uh, but anyway, he started raiding caravans to get money, and he became a, a, what they called a pirate, and then he became a warlord. And he ended, ten years later, he ended up as a conqueror of Arabia. He had conquered all the tribes. They had all joined his religion. Uh, Muhammad is, is a unique person, so there's two phases to his uh, recitations. All the peaceful phase recitations were made when he was in Mecca. And the last 28 that he recited were in Medina, and they're very long, very detailed, and they're very hostile, and they get more and more hostile as he gets, every year goes by. So the Quran, after Muhammad died in the year 632, uh, nothing happened. The people that had listened to his recitations had either memorized them, they called them professional rememberers, and they literally had a chain of custody from passing the, uh, the memory from one to another, you had people that wrote it down on anything that was available. Uh, they were called fragments. So 20 years after Muhammad died, the third caliph, which means successor to the prophet, so he would be the third successor to Muhammad in, t in 20 years, got together all the fragments, all the things that were written down. He called all the people in that had memorized what Muhammad had said, and he had a bunch of scribes write everything down and, and record it. And when he finished, he had 114 small booklets. Mm. And they became, we would call them the chapters of the, they're the equivalent of the chapters in the Bible. And, and the, they're called surahs. So now we have 114 surahs, and, and there's no dates in any of them. So there's no way to chronologically order these surahs by just looking at the dates and knowing when they were done, or when Muhammad recited them. So the caliph said, when he was asked what to do, he said, well, we will put them in order of the longest first, in other words, the surah with the most, most verses goes first, and the shortest one is last. And that is the way the Quran is organized. He then had all the fragments burned, because he didn't want people arguing about whether or not this was the actual way the story went. He said there will only be one version of the Quran because when the books were assembled, all 114 were put together, it was called the Quran, which means recitation. So it was the recitations of Muhammad. So the whole book is Muhammad. And I give a talk that says it's all about Muhammad. Islam is all about Muhammad. And to understand Islam, you need to study Muhammad, because he is everything in Islam. Uh, we hear the term hadith. Hadith means the deeds and the words and what Muhammad did if, when he wasn't reciting what Gabriel had told him. So everything, everything that you read, the whole basis of Shahira law is based upon the Quran and then what Muhammad did and said otherwise. So it's all about Muhammad. Well, now, since you have these two, you mm -hmm. have the hostile verses first and right. the peaceful verses last because the hostile ones were very long. You get the impression, if you read the Quran, that he started out being pretty upset, but he ended up being a really nice guy. And it's the opposite. Uh, the first recitation that Muhammad made is called the clot, which means he says that God formed man out of a clot of blood, 
uh, rather than clay. And our, the Christians, or the, I guess the Jews, and everybody believed that God formed us out of clay. Uh, in their version, it was a clot of blood. But that is the 96th surah in the Quran. So that shows you where the beginning is. Now, there, there, there was quite a controversy this, this past weekend that, that brought international attention to a pastor with a flock of 50 parishioners in Florida, the Reverend Jones, who... Yeah, uh, Gainesville. Yeah, Gainesville. And at the very last moment, uh, due to what we believe to be political pressure of the highest, uh, he decided that he was going to cancel his plans to burn the Koran. Now, uh, in your article, you tell of a, of a time when the Bible was burned. And I was wondering if you could share that with us. Well, first I'm going to tell you, I would like to say that I'm very glad that he didn't burn the so Quran, not because of upsetting the Muslims, but I think it, I don't believe you should burn anybody's holy book. That's right, I, I agree. what religion it yeah. is, you know, and I, it's just not, not the right thing to do. But the interesting thing is that a Christian church, and this is in 2008 when Bush was president, a Christian church sent over some number of Bibles, I don't know the number, it could have been 50 or 100, mm -hmm. and they were printed in the local languages of in Afghanistan, Pashtun is one. Uh, they were received by one of their members that was there, and he was going to distribute them. And somebody objected, and then it became a big flap. The Bibles were confiscated. Now, this, they were confiscated by our military, the U.S. military, on an Air Force base. They were then thrown in the garbage. The garbage was burned in the incinerator on the Air Force Base. So we burned Bibles. Our military burned Bibles, and yet we raised it. And then we make such a huge deal out of the fact that this little pastor, who was perfectly within his rights to burn the Quran, he had absolutely—clearly he had the right to do so, even though I don't think it was a good idea. I would support his right to do it. But I can't get over the fact that our Air Force, our military, burned our Bibles. They didn't send them back to the church. They didn't even shred them. They just threw them in the trash and burned them. Hmm. And I, I, this is unconscionable. Lee, do you think that the possibility still exists to bring both sides to the table and work out a a win-win situation for both sides uh, when it comes to the the mosque in New York City? I, <laughs> boy, you, I, I would have to be a prophet myself to make that. My personal opinion, yes. just, just personal opinion is no. I think it's going to end up being some kind of a flap. The uh, imam is absolutely determined to build that mosque, and he's now threatening jihad against New York City if it's not built. Uh, I, think the, I think the interesting thing is going to occur is with the unions, the trade unions. Will they build the mosque? And my bet would be, personal again, is that they probably will not do it, that the, the unions were just going to say, no, we're not going to build it. Well, now this gets to be an interesting, now we've reached a really interesting situation. Mm -hmm. The... the <clears throat> They have approval to build the mosque, they have the money to build the mosque, and the, and the working man won't build the mosque. So two things can happen. Either they will give up at this point, which I don't think they will, 
The other thing they will do is they'll say, well, if your trade unions won't build a mosque, we will bring an outside foreign contractor and foreign laborers into New York City and build it ourselves. Now, that is going to prove to be a very interesting situation, should it occur. I, have, I just can't imagine yeah. how the unions are going to react to having a bunch of Koreans or Bangladesh or, or whatever show up and start building a mosque in their city. These are very volatile times in New York City, and I, I had Bill Federer on a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, Bill said the, the danger of Islam does not, does not rest in it being a religion alone, but it is also a political power and a military force. Exactly. It is an ideology that mm -hmm. it, it encompasses every, every aspect of a person's life. And I, think, I, I don't have it handy to quote, but the 36th or 36th verse, I believe it is, or the 39th or 36th verse, it states that a person's duty, everything in a man or woman's life is predetermined before they're born that Allah knows everything you're going to do before you're born, mm -hmm. which means, all, in other words, predestination. So the, so the uh, comment, Ishla Allah, as God wills, really has a, has a unique meaning, if you think of it in those terms, that everything I do, God had determined I was going to do before I was born. So I'm really not responsible for what I do, because it was all predestined. There was also a yeah. news article today on uh, one of the news networks where the if you wear a burqa in France a full face burqa you are now subject to a $195 fine yeah France has had enough uh, yeah. they have a they they the problem we're having and we're seeing it now in this country especially with the uh, Somalis coming in here is the Islamic people they integrate they, they immigrate into the country legally or otherwise, and they form communities. Well, our ancestors, when they came, formed communities. We had the Irish communities, mm -hmm. the, uh, the German communities, uh, you know, whatever community, everywhere. But the difference is the parents knew that they had come to a new country. They came here because the new country had new values, values that they wanted. Even if they couldn't speak the language and couldn't get along, couldn't integrate well, they knew their children had to. So you had the generations where the father and mother would work as, as lowest paid jobs possible and they would force their kids, they would encourage their kids to learn the language and get educated. And in many cases, by the third generation, you're having people that started out as common laborers, you're having PhDs and medical doctors in the third generation. They integrated into our society because they came here to do so. And uh, it was their purpose to become Americans. They, they left the old country's values on the shore when they sailed to come to this country. Lee, hold on, to, Lee hold on to that thought. We've got to take our final break. Lee Boyland is our special guest this hour, Nation. His website, www.leeboylandbooks.com. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? 
We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. So Nation, Lee Boylan's our special guest. First of all, Lee, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Always great talking to you. Uh, so just finish that thought we that I had to interrupt because of the commercial break. Well, we were talking about the communities. What's yes. happened with the Islamic uh, immigrants that come into France, Europe, England, and now starting in the United States, is they form communities like our ancestors did. But the difference is they don't want to assimilate into the American culture. They don't make any effort to. And as the communities grow, they literally shut out the outside, introduce their own legal system, which is Shahara law. And they have, around France, there's a communities of ring around Paris, and there's in other countries, and they, they're called no-go zones, which that means is a Christian or anybody else other than a Muslim does not go into that area. Why Even not? the police are afraid to enter. Well, wait a second. And, you know, how, how can that happen? Well, it's happened. You know, that's part of what France is pushing back, wow. and now Denmark is pushing back, staying it. We have no-go zones starting in this country with the Somali immigrants, primarily. Uh, they, they just basically close everybody out, and then they start pushing outward from their community, trying to engulf the whole country. So they didn't come to our country or to France or to England or mm-hmm. wherever. They didn't come to assimilate into that culture. They came to assimilate that culture into theirs. In other words, we're going to be assimilated. I use the, I like to use Star Trek analogies every once in a while. I did it in the article. Uh, we had to, in uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. We had the Borg. Yes, remember? yeah, sure do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, uh, resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. Was their was their That's comment? Right. Yeah. Well, this sort of describes the attitude of these of the Muslims that come here. They Resistance is futile. They will eventually turn us into the United uh, Islamic Republic of the United States. That is their goal. And I don't want to be part of that. And now the French are starting to realize that it's gone too far. New Year's Eve in France, if you follow it, they burn automobiles all over the country. I think there was 1,200 automobiles torched last New Year's Eve. Just for the, they just go out and torch automobiles and tear up buildings. And it's all, it's all Muslims. Why have we been so tolerant to this point? We're a tolerant people. That's, that's, one of our, that's our great strength and also our weakness. We, we want to let everybody have their own way of life. We want, that was the whole point of the country, to be, be free, to do mm-hmm. what you want to do. 
But when we have people using that against us to subjugate us, that's what's happening. And we have to wake up and say, you know, there's an end to tolerance. There's an end to, a poli- well, political correctness, I think, is the worst thing that ever happened because we were never designed to be a politically correct country. We came over here. The people that came to this country were unpolitically correct. That's why they came. That's right. They wanted to do things their own way. And, you know, we're a tremendous people. We, we're the most generous people in the world, and yet we get criticized constantly about what we're doing. Uh, a friend of mine just wrote an article was talking about uh, how much money we give the Muslim countries and others. Whenever anybody gets in trouble, America's the first country to arrive with money, with food, with medical supplies. The Muslims never support any country that's not Muslim. You never see them producing any... Uh, I think there were some promises made to Haiti, but they were never kept on, on uh, aid and materials. It's, hey, Lee, I hate, to, I hate to do this, but you and I have to say so long for now. We've just run out of time. Take care of yourself, Lee. Look forward to the next time when you join us here in the Exxon and keep those articles coming. It was my pleasure. Take care of yourself. Exxon Nation, Lee Boyland has been my guest. His website is www.leeboylandbooks.com, where you can buy all of his books directly online. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.